Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. We have Alvin Narsi with us today, and what we're going to be talking about is making the boring part of business sexy again. And so here's a part of why. So Alvin's background is he used to buy and sell pharmacies, but now what he does is he helps retail businesses to increase their cash flow and become more profitable. And I think it's actually very topical in the current environment because, of course, coming out of COVID, a lot of retailers who were not the big boxes that were allowed to stay open, like Walmart, Target, Fred, well, Fred Meyer, where I'm at, that was Kroger. Etc. The smaller retailers are really struggling. I mean, and because you know, retail just in itself is a hard business because you have to purchase the inventory before you can sell it through, which means that you have a whole bunch of cash that goes out. And in order to finance that carrying costs, you need to have a really high markup. So then somebody like Amazon comes through and, you know, if they can do a direct sale, they can do like say half of that markup and you just can't, that's just a cycle that you can't compete with. So anyway, Alvin, I hope I didn't steal too much of your thunder, but yeah, that's just the way that I kind of think about the situation. Yeah. Doug, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. You think correctly. So yeah, that's a real big, what I like to call an opportunity that we have yeah. as a small to medium retail business owner, uh -huh. because we have these people coming into the landscape, like the Amazons, like you said, yeah. and of course, many of us, I hate to use this word again, had to pivot from the COVID days. And, you know, we're starting to see a lot of retailers who have successfully pivoted are going to be setting themselves up for the long term. And unfortunately, uh -huh. that weren't able to hold their own during the past two and a half years, three years or so now are finding themselves doing other things. Okay. So now for the retailers that are thriving, because I know there are some of them, what have you seen as, you know, kind of some of the most successful models? Because the one that comes to my mind, because I've read a whole bunch of Dan Kennedy books is, so I know Bill Glazer's model back when he was in menswear uh, was what he would do is he would focus on getting a, well, in his day, it was a direct mail list. Now it would be an email list. And what would happen is every month they'd have some kind of promotion. There'd either be a holiday promotion or they'd be doing some kind of promotion to get people to show up. And then and essentially what they did was they facilitated some kind of hyper buying. So they'd show up for some kind of insane deal and then get upsold to two, three, four, or five purchases. Basically, they got it to where the, you know, your essentially your average ticket for somebody who walked in the door vastly exceeded the cost of acquisition, which I think that's kind of literally the whole game for business now. If you can get your initial transaction to exceed your cost of acquisition, you can grow indefinitely. Absolutely. And I think one of the key points that you highlighted on in the beginning with uh, this menswear shop, which I'm not familiar with, by the way, but I think what you identified there, and this is what happens to a lot of retailers, is we, uh, and I can say we because I used to be a retailer, like you mentioned with my pharmacies, mm -hmm. but we kind of forgotten, and this is the fundamentals of business, right? This is why it's so not sexy, but we've kind of forgotten who our target market is, right? And uh -huh. COVID, thankfully, 
had to force a lot of people to rethink their strategy. And you will find that the retailers that came through on the other side, you know, from this whole pivot model, they really got to understand their perfect client or customer, depends mm-hmm. what part of the world you are. So I think that's the key thing is making sure that you're not being all things to everybody. Now, of course, we've heard about these, like everyone tells us this, but how do you actually work this out for yourself, for your business? And then how do you go about implementing it as part of your business plan, as part of your growth strategy? So I think that's one of the key things is really taking the time and understanding who are you trying to chase and ultimately, you know, who are you trying to serve? What value can you provide to the marketplace? And realistically, you know, you can't provide value to everybody, right? So once you are focused on who you're going to serve, then the next step gets a little bit easier. And, you know, you spoke of what we call in the retail industry, you know, your average basket size or your average sale. And one of the key concepts, and unfortunately, you know, we kind of know this as retailers, but not very many retailers kind of understand it track it, measure it, use it as a key performance indicator of growth. Uh And one of the great things about average dollar sale, same thing with your menswear example, is that you don't need a lot of marketing spend to bump that figure up, right? No. Uh, It's so funny because I just did did a a little webinar today for my clients uh, and I called it, would you like fries with that? It's the whole McDonald's principle, right? It's at the checkout, just asking one simple thing. And I think as retail business owners, we often forget, and all business owners really, because the stuff I talk about is applicable to all businesses. I just Uh happen to focus on retail because that's my jam. But the whole thing is, if you don't ask, and it's just one little bit, one little prompt, and it Uh might not be a lot to you. It might be like a dollar or 30 cents or wherever you are in the world, but a small percentage increase in your average sale per customer if you compound that over how many transactions you do in a day and you know maybe you're trading seven days a week and then all of a sudden you've got 52 weeks in a year that you're trading you know or you know close to 50 that all adds up and if you're really intelligent and you start to work through some of the strategies you can drastically increase your revenue and as a consequence you're going to increase your profit because you're not Mm -hmm. really spending much money to drive this initiative forward so i think that's one of the the big missing pieces there. Yeah. Well, and so I think, you know, going back to the McDonald's analogy, I think that's actually very apropos because I'm going to ask the listeners to forgive me if I get the numbers precisely wrong, but you know, like basically, you know, if you go through the drive through and you buy, get a Big Mac or a quarter pounder, you know, essentially what will happen is those burgers are usually priced pretty close to cost. And so, you know, you're, I would imagine that the gross margin on those is probably, I don't know, around 30, 40%, basically just barely enough to offset the allocated advertising costs that get you to come into the driveway in the first place. But if you purchase, say, a set of large fries, the gross margin on that's probably about 85, 90%. If you purchase a soda, the gross margin on that is like 95% or higher. It's almost 100%. And so it's those little add-ons that are actually where the profit comes from because you know there's usually a lead product, which is priced very aggressively to be able to get people in the door. And again, you know, I am certainly not an expert in the retail, but just the way that I would think about it would be that, you know, say, let's like, you know, if you're setting some kind of promotion, like, you know, say, for example, you're a shoe store. I, I sold shoes when I was in college. So that's the way, I'm, the way that I'm thinking about it. Okay. Well, so what I would think you would want to do is you would want to say something like, okay, you know, do some kind of promotion where, okay, you know, when you buy a set of shoes, you'll get a pair of socks for free. 
and go, okay, well, all right, fine. You know, a set, set of socks, it sounds good. Okay, well, now once people are in the door, say, oh, by the way, if you'd like a second set of shoes, you know, we're willing to offer a 10% discount. Oh, if you want a third set of shoes, we'll offer a 20% discount. And then say, oh, since you've been a loyal customer, we have a bounce back coupon where if you come back within the next 30 days, then you can get a 20% off discount again. And, you know, so that's the kind of thing that, that really makes a retail business hum is by increasing the value of the people that come through the door because, you know, the cost is getting people in the door in the first place. And so you need to get as much value out of every single person who walks through that door as you possibly can. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what, you know, and that's one of the, the key things. And, you know, we don't even have to wait for a promotion period. You know, while yeah. we've got the clients or the customers in the store, we have this tremendous opportunity to serve them and provide as much value as we can. And I think if you look at some of the great retailers out there, and I'm talking about small to medium sized yeah. uh, retailers, you know, it's really about putting yourself in the client's shoes and the customer's shoes. And as a small to medium retailer, we have this significant advantage, you know, over somebody like Amazon in that we can really engage our customer in front of us or even on an e-commerce setting as well, because, you know, we're really, hopefully we've understood our target market. We're really mm -hmm. specialized in who we're looking after. And, you know, when somebody comes to you into your shop, into your e-commerce store, you know, they're obviously looking for a solution to something. And we have this tremendous opportunity that we can help them, not only with their, for instance, with the shoes, but, you know, there is no reason why we can't ask, do you need some cleaning products with that, an extra set of laces, so on and so forth. And these are all just simple strategies that we can employ within our team, first of all, within the way that we merchandise our store, certainly on the checkout as well. You know, we can range things properly as well. And I think the often missed component is the fact that we need to think, think about our customer and look at a solution-based approach. When your client or customer comes in for one thing, we start thinking, what else do they need that'll just bring them so much joy to their solution, to their problem and help yeah. them even more, right? So it sounds so basic. However, you know, I guess, you know, we're all running our retail stores, our small businesses, you know, we're busy yeah. putting out fires. Mary hasn't turned up to her shift, you know, the register's not working, yeah. all these kind of things are going on. And as a small retailer, small to medium business owner, you're just like trying to run around everywhere. So I think that's the key thing is that when you work with a mentor or a coach or a consultant or whatever you want, or somebody you're talking to, you know, you're really forced to take a step back and work with someone to really think about each stage of your business and how we can grow it and, you know, and all those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and because I think the thing that I'd kind of like to unpack a little bit here is the difference between a product and an offer. Before we get there, what I would think is you need to understand, okay, why do people buy things? Yes. And because people do not buy things for things, they buy things for what they do, or more specifically, the problem they solve. Exactly. So like, for example, you know, if I buy a drill, I don't buy a drill because I want a drill, I buy a drill because I want a hole. And Absolutely. So for example, let's go with the shoe example. If somebody's buying a, a pair of shoes, okay, why are they buying a pair of shoes? It could be because they have interests that are athletic. It could be because, you know, they want something that goes with their outfit. It could be because they have something formal going on. Those are all very different problems that you're going to solve. And, but you can tune different offers because, you know, an offer is appealing when it addresses the problem that you're trying to solve with something that you're buying. Exactly. Totally. Very well said. And this comes down to the, the opportunity that we have in a store level or in a small to medium sized business is you know, we can really start to engage our team 
And this is really one of the winning factors that we have yeah. now, right? This ability uh, in this digital environment, and I work with a lot of e-commerce businesses as well. It's so easy to do it there, you know, when you have cart recommendations, when you're checking out. Yeah. But there are still a lot of people that value the one-on-one, you know, talking to a human being kind uh-huh. of approach, right? So once we get them into our store and provide this experience for them, like you said, hopefully they'll come back. We have a loyalty program in place and we can continue to, you know, build a relationship with these clients or customers, right? And this is the fundamental of any business, right? Like you said, the acquisition cost for clients is uh, customers in any business is really high. And it's always a lot easier to work with and sell to and continue to provide value Mm -hmm. to your existing customers or clients, you know? Yeah. Well, and so, yeah, I'm actually a little jazzed up on this because I think I just finished reading Gym Launch Secrets by Alex Hermosi. And, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Alex uh, and Layla or not. Very much so. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, but like the the whole front end acquisition strategy that he did for Gym Launch was basically was instead of starting people out on like, say, a $20 trial membership, they started him out on like a $600 program. The reason being that because by having a high ticket front end, now you have enough front end cash flow to where you can pay for outreach and still make a profit. So once you can gain clients at a profit, now you can grow indefinitely because the thing that kills most businesses is that the amount that they have to spend to bring clients in results in a negative cash flow. And there's a delay between when they will generate sales and when they have to put that cash flow out to bring clients in. And if you can get that delay down to zero and get that margin positive, now you don't have a marketing budget anymore. As long as the ads are working and you're net positive, you can spend indefinitely to grow your client base. Now, that's harder to do than it sounds, but that's the idea. I think we should all be aiming for it. And Alex explains it really, really well. I mean, because he's super clear on his target customer, right? He doesn't just want any, well, he didn't just want any sort of gym member, right? He wanted someone that really valued the service that he provided and the outcome that he was able to provide and also to the gyms as well, because he was coaching gyms as well. So yeah, Yeah. really, really important. And I think it's an often overlooked thing. You know, as retailers, we're constantly running around from marketing strategy to marketing strategy and trying to implement things, you know, without really having sort of thought through the process or even giving it time for it to work, right? So I think it's really important that we, you know, that we sort of get that down well. Exactly. I mean, and because I know this is one of the mental things that I've been going through, you know, in my business, just because, you know, you know, my business is around, you know, expense reduction consulting for businesses to B2B type of thing. And so what I do is I'll go in and essentially I will restructure a company's contracts and, and in exchange for a percentage of the savings. So no upfront costs, only bill on a percentage of the savings. Seems like a no brainer, right? The problem is, it's like, I don't know, people are afraid of making a decision. They're afraid of, it might cause disruption. There's all this stuff that you have to try to overcome. And so I know one of the things that, that just that I'm doing in, in terms of putting this in place for my business is figuring out, okay, how do I put together that front-end acquisition to be able to acquire and nurture people profitably to be able to get them to that profitable back-end sale? I think that's really where it comes down to pretty much any business, including retailers, because you're always going to have things that are more versus less profitable. Typically, your lower ticket things will tend to be less profitable, or they might have good margins, but a low amount. And so, but a lot of times those are the places where you can run the promotions to get people in the door. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I guess I should talk about that. You know, discounting is a real thing. And I think it should be used strategically, like Uh you said, what we call in the industry and retailing as a loss leader, right? So, you know, you use something that's pretty well known, that's got a, a really good market perception. You can price it really, really well. 
and to bring the client mm-hmm. or the customer in. And then it, you need to really ensure that you increase that basket size, like you said, to justify, to raise your margins up in your total value size. However, I think one of the mistakes that I see retailers making is we're constantly going down this discount path, right? Yeah. We're either trying to commit with Amazon or you know some of the big box retailers. And we've really got to realize that we don't have the same purchasing power as them. It might seem really easy and basic, but a lot of retailers... Because we don't have the purchasing power, we still think we can sell at that really, really low margin. So there's a couple of things that we need to do is really stop discounting, really understand who our target client is. So then, you know, we can start to shift our intentions, shift who Uh we're serving and really ensure that we're now starting to stock, provide and serve really high margin items as well. Right. So I think there is a piece of the pie for everybody. There's certainly room for discounters and there are going to be people who are sensitive on price. And, you know, there's an opportunity for the high street retailer or the e-commerce or the small to medium guy and girl to, you know, really carve out their niche in there, you know. So Mm -hmm. I think rampant discounting needs to be stopped and or even, you know, just have a look at it and see if it makes sense for your business. Yeah, well, and because I think that, you know, because when we're talking about discounting, we're not talking about discounting everything. What you will do is you will you want to discount a lead offer and then you might want to discount, say, add on sales. You know, okay. So for example, I'm just going to use a pretty broad example, but I know a lot of retailers usually do about what they call a keystone markup, which basically means that what their acquisition cost is, they essentially double it for their retail price. It's not how it works everywhere, but it's a reasonable approximation. Okay. Well, so then what that means is you have about say half of your, let's say you have about half of your price and margin to work with. Okay. Well, so you might start with, say with, with a low ticket product and then mark it down pretty close to cost and then promote that. That gets people in the door. Okay. Well, so then what you do is you have a discount on the next product. Okay. Well, so let's say instead of a 50% margin, you end up going down to a 40% margin, but your ticket goes up. And so, you know, so now what you've just done is with that first upsell, you just flip that person from being a net loss to probably break even to a small net profit because you've offset your ad spend. Well, now if there is some other kind of product that you can put onto there, you know, now you generate a net profit on that person and you've got them in the door. And then if you can put them on some kind of continuity or bounce back program, now you can start to put residual revenue in place. I mean, that's the thing is, I think the thing you have to understand is discounting is not how you create revenue. Discounting is how you get people in the door. And once they're in the door, it's what you do after that that is really going to determine whether you survive or not and whether you thrive. Because you know, if you put all these pieces in place, you, know, you put some kind of continuity program together, you have events, create some kind of community, now price sensitivity goes out the window and you can monetize people much more effectively. And I'm not talking about just treating people like they're walking wallets. But one of the things you have to understand is that A, most people are going to spend everything they make anyway. I mean, and so it's that, you know, if they're going to spend it all anyway, they might as well spend some of it with you. And B, that people attach more perceived value to things that they pay more money for. Because I think the thing that makes an unfair transaction is when you are selling something for more than its real or perceived value. Well, you know, perceived value is a little bit of an ethereal concept. And usually the type of situation where you have an imbalance is, you know, say, you know, if you have, say, a major supply shortage, this is where they talk about, quote, price gouging or if you have some other kind of weird, goofy market situation. But generally speaking, the way that most companies are going to do the best is if they can increase the perceived value of what they are selling so that the price that the customer pay feels like a bargain. And if you do that, then there's really no end to how much you can monetize your customer base in a win-win type of situation. Absolutely. Totally. Very, very well said. Yeah. And so, you know, part of the, the key with that 
is obviously ensuring that you know your target market. We've really discussed that and really, really focusing on solving problems for our clients, our customers, and keep it really solution oriented. So there's a lot of opportunity for retailers in the market. There's a lot of people who sort of forget about these things and aren't doing it properly. And yeah. there's certainly a way, a way to to really carve your niche and carve your way in the retail landscape now, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, Alvin, I'd like you to, uh, you know, give us your last couple of few thoughts and then uh, let us know where we can find you online. Let us know if you have a website or your most active socials. Yeah, absolutely. Some key points. I think if you're a retailer or any any Mm -hmm. real business that's trading today in in the environment, what, you know, we've spoken about understanding your ideal client. I think one of the other key things as well is to understand your cash flow. And what I mean yeah. by that is to track your cash flow. Once you're tracking it, is to start to forecast your cash flow. Because yeah. one of the major things, and I think you touched on this in the beginning, is as a retailer or really any business, if you're purchasing stock and then you've got a delay until you sell it, you really can get into a cash flow crunch, right? And this happens all the time. It happens to large yeah. businesses. We all can get in this situation. And it's simply because somewhere along the way, we've sort of dropped the ball somewhere. And, you know, one of the major problems that we have as small business owners is nobody sort of teaches us how to record or track cash flow. And, you know, I guess it's we get reports from our accountants or our bookkeepers and we look at all these numbers and it's like, what does it mean? And we can't make head of tail out of it. So I think that's one thing is to keep the recording process really simple. So that'd be just my passing words to finish it up. Where you can find me, I'm all over the place. You can go to my website and I'll give you all these. I'm sure you've got it already done. Uh, elvinnasicoaching.com. You can find me most active on Facebook and LinkedIn, but certainly if you put my name into Google, all my other assets will come up. Uh, We've got webinars on YouTube and Instagram and we're all over the place. So we'd love to connect if you're a retail business and need some help with your cash flow and profitability. Outstanding. Well, hey, Alvin, I really, really do appreciate your time today. All right. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Thanks, Doug. All right. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of the video. There's just a couple of things that I need from you right now. Number one is I need you to subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber to the channel, please hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on. That way you will know every time I publish new content. Number two, comment, share your thoughts. I want to know what you did and didn't like. What should I make next? And number three, share this with your friends. Go on to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever you uh, you hang out socially, and then post a link to this video and let people know what you liked about it and make sure to tag me. And then what I would also like to do is I would like to offer you the most incredible free gift ever. And this is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract related costs. If you are a decision maker in a business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who is a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. And in exchange, I am going to give you a absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. Uh, The value of this, again, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. So anyway, just hit the button below for the most incredible free gift ever. Make sure to subscribe, share, and comment, and watch the next video because I'll be at you with more.